Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter number 6, we're going to look at verses 37 and 38 in just a moment. So, I had a real hard time deciding how to divide up the sermons um, because we are finishing up a section about loving your enemies and the next section starts a, a little bit of a different topic. But um, what I enjoy about reading Jesus' words is that Jesus' words are profound and penetrating, aren't they? But at the same time, they're simple and full of meaning. No, nobody could illustrate like Jesus. Nobody could paint a picture with words like Jesus Christ. Nobody could get to the heart of the matter like Jesus because he's God. He's the God-man. As we work our way through, uh, I'm going to call this a Sermon on the Mount. It's the same sermon as we see in Matthew 5 to 7. Uh, as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount, we are in a section right now that Jesus commands his disciples to love their enemies. If you look at verse number 35 with me, it says, If we love our enemies, you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful, and to the evil. Now that is so unlike us, isn't it? It, it really is. But what I want to point out is one little phrase in there, and that's that little phrase that says, you will be sons of the Most High. Sons of the Most High. That's, that's another way of saying that we are imitating God. There's several clear exchanges that, that show us uh, this little truth in scripture one of them is in in john uh, chapter number eight if you'll turn to john eight we'll get to luke in just a minute but uh, i want to go to john eight first uh, the pharisees are opposing jesus and in verse number 41 i want you to notice what he said he said you are doing the works that your father did okay now, they, they misunderstood what he said, and so they, they came back and said, well, we knew, know who our fathers are. And Jesus then reframed it and said, no, your father is someone different. Verse number 44, he says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Okay, so there it is. Um, he's telling them that Satan is a father. Now, I want you to notice how he arrives at that. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus, in John 8, just told them that they are murderers, and of course they do murder Jesus, don't they? They're liars because that's their character. And they're taking on the character of the devil. And so therefore, he can look at them and say, you are sons of the devil. There are many more examples, but this one will suffice. In Jewish culture, when someone was acting a certain way, they would say that that, that person is acting like the son of someone. Uh, Jesus talks about the son of Belial. And, and so in this passage, liars are murderers acting like their father, the devil. And when they do that, they're acting like the devil himself. We, we see in Scripture 
that Paul, Paul talks about the fact that those who do not know Christ are acting like the devil because they're doing his works. And we meet them and they, they seem like kind and nice people, but they're, it's a binary choice. You're, you're either on your way to heaven or you're on your way to eternity in hell. You're either a father of God, or, or I mean a son of God, or you're a son of Satan. That's the way the Bible characterizes things. And these are, these are harsh, aren't they? It's, it's harsh to, to hear that, but when you boil it down to the final truth, that's what it is. So when we go back to Luke chapter 6, and verse number 35, when Jesus says that we can show ourselves to be sons of the Most High, what he's saying is that we're acting like God. This line of argument continues into our passage today. We're going to read two short verses. Verses 37 and 38, Jesus continues to explain how we can love our enemies. Verses 39 to 45, which I originally intended to get to, decided not to, Jesus gave a parable about the danger of following the wrong spiritual teacher. I'm going to let you remain seated today as we read two short verses and pray. Verse number 37 says, uh, Judge not uh, is the antenna up on the the clicker because I I don't have any clicker again. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short little teaching from Jesus. And there's so much that we could say about this, so much that we can learn from Jesus in these short few words. I pray that you will speak to our hearts, speak to my heart. Help us, Lord, to take on the character of Jesus Christ in a greater way. In his name we pray. Amen. Judge not, lest you be judged. That's probably one of the most well-known verses by unbelievers. It used to be John 3.16. But I think more today, it's judge not, lest you be judged, right? Um, unbelievers understand this and no doubt or I shouldn't say understand they know it because uh, that is an ultimate sin in our culture making any kind of a judgment in our culture having any kind of of fixed moral compass in our world's culture is a sin nobody likes to be judged anybody here like to be judged nobody likes to be judged right people prefer to set their own standards and to adjust them as they go. For example, when I'm driving down the road and I'm driving close to the speed limit, as close as I can make myself drive to the speed limit, and people pass me up, I just shake my head, those people. But when I'm late for something, I'm one of those people in the left lane, right? Moving a little bit faster. None of the rest of us have that problem. I realize it's only me, and I accept that uh, on my shoulders. But we, we like to judge other people. Uh, in the certain cases, then, I always judge the people that get in the left lane and drive the same speed as the person in the right lane. That, if you want to get me unsanctified, do that, you will be judged, okay? 
problem is they're really happy. They don't know what they're doing. But um, the last thing that people want is to have someone else telling them what to do. That's why we hear slogans, it's my body, right? I'm going to do with it whatever I want. But is that what Jesus is teaching here, don't judge other people? Is he teaching that we're not to use our faculties of judgment? The answer to that question is, is no. We know that because the very next paragraph teaches us how to use sound judgment. We'll get to that next week, or next time, I should say. There are many life situations that demand a decision. Parents are called to make judgments when, they, uh, when their children have conflict. Teachers assess their students. Managers evaluate their employees. Elders decide cases of discipline in the church. Judges render verdicts in, in courts of law. And the rest of the Bible makes it clear that judge not is not a prohibition against any and every form of judgment. It's not. Whenever we're called to make moral and theological decisions, it is irresponsible for us not to. And I think in reality, culture, Christian culture in particular, has swung from that real judgmental Christian culture where they judge people very severely for actions to we're living in the, in the age when grace covers everything. And so we're not to make any kind of judgment. We're not even supposed to set our own standards. Because if you do that, that's judgmental. There are times, though, that we have to judge. For example, in John chapter 7, there we go. John chapter 7, verse number 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, uh, we need to think about what we're actually looking at when we make a decision. We, we are to use judgment to discern false teachers. Did you know that? Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter number 7. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, well, how, how do you know? How do you know that they're false teachers? He says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased uh, tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, what? You will recognize them by their fruit. And so we are to judge the content and the character of, of every teacher. False teachers can be judged by their character, by the fruit of their life. They talk about the Lord in more than just sermonic form. What is their life like? Does their life show that their desire is to love the Lord? And, and um, the Bible talks about false teachers repeatedly in the epistles and how to judge them. Almost Every epistle talks about some form of false teaching. And so we're to use our judgment there. But So what Jesus is talking about is not, let's, let's you know, make sound judgment. Jesus is warning us about um, not having a, a judgmental attitude of heart. This clicker is not working. Can you go to the next slide, please? 
In other words, we are not to be judgmental. Remember the context is, is, is very clear. Context is king when you're interpreting the Bible. And the context is loving our enemies. So this little phrase, judge not lest you be judged, forbids harsh, hard, critical, compassionate, compassion, this is a hard word to say, compassionless hostility to enemies. He or she is quick to criticize, usually putting things in the worst possible light, but slow to forgive. Someone who is judgmental also lacks any sense of proportion. Have you ever seen that one? You ever seen somebody that, that lacks proportion? How do, how do I mean? Small offenses receive the same angry response uh, that is reserved for the most egregious of sins. You know what I'm talking about, right? This is what Jesus is warning against. He's warning against a judgmental and censorious perspective towards others that holds them down in guilt and never seeks to encourage somebody towards God. Daryl Bach, the uh, commentator, um, said this. He said, a judgment, um, evaluating others with such harshness that the result is an unforgiving attitude and an approach that ceases to hold out hope as if somebody is beyond God's reach. What is commanded is an attitude that is hesitant to condemn and quick to forgive. And then that's, that's directed towards our enemies. Okay, that's directed towards unbelievers. Can you advance the slide, please? I'm just going to turn this thing off. It's working sometimes and sometimes it's not. Um, the context, verse number 28, the context Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is the context. Speaking about spiritual enemies. Someone who is abusing you, who would completely expect you to turn, return the favor. Christ is commanding that we, that we do what is not natural. It is not natural not to return in kind, right? We call this countercultural. Think, think about the, the current atmosphere that we live in in the political realm. Uh, I, I have to mention this. I've never lived in a place that's so political. I understand why. We're not too far from Washington, D.C., but everything is politics. And, and you, you say one negative thing about someone, and you can expect a barrage of negativity back to you, can't you? It's just the atmosphere that we, we live in. It's expected. But we're to be countercultural. And what is the result of such countercultural actions? Jesus said, Judge not, and you will not be judged. This is completely in line with what Jesus taught previously. Next slide. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse number 32. Look at what he says. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you for even sinners love those who love them next slide and if you do good to those who do good to you what benefit is that to you for even sinners do the same we we talked about this last week scratch my back and i'll scratch your back that's the way the world lives that's the way most people live if you are 
kind to someone and you're friends with someone and then you're the greatest person in the world and they'll do anything for you. But if you're kind of sketchy, uh, they're not going to do much of anything for you because I, I don't know about that guy. You know what I'm, I'm saying? We, we understand that. Uh, so instead of passing judgment, being critical, and passing sentence, we are called to have an attitude of kindness and forgiveness and generosity. And over time, they may reciprocate. The net result is that you will have an audience for evangelism. And isn't that what we're here for? We are here for an audience of evangelism. Next slide, please. A little closer to home, if you don't mind me getting a little closer to home, is that okay? We can be judgmental with other believers, can't we? It happens when we're overconfident in the conclusions that we uh, reach about other people's problems without fully knowing their situation. It happens when we judge people's motives wrongly, assuming we know why they did the things that they did. It happens when we are, have an unforgiving spirit toward people who have done us wrong, or we think have done us wrong. That's the other one. We think have done us wrong. It happens when we keep our distance from Christians struggling with difficult sins, whether it's the sin of self-pity or some sexual immorality. It happens when we shun people with messy problems. You know, drug addiction, um, drunkenness. Uh, it can be other people who continually get themselves in the same problems. It happens when we criticize the sins of other people that other people commit more than we repent of our own unrighteousness. I want to pause right there. One of the beautiful things about counseling, if you've ever counseled people, is God has a knack of throwing your own sin in your face while you're counseling that person. That person doesn't, but the Holy Spirit does. You're, you're counseling a person, and all of a sudden you feel like you're looking in the mirror. It's like, you know, I have that same problem. It happens when we use angry slogans to condemn hot-button hot issues, abortion, gay lifestyle, without befriending people and offering grace to them. God forgive us. This is not the way Jesus taught us to treat people. And when we do, it should not surprise us when they want to have nothing to do with His gospel. The irony, of course, is that this is not the way Jesus judges us. Please, next slide. He knows the whole truth about the full extent of our sin. Wrap your mind around that. He knows your sin. Every bit of it. Every attitude. He knows every sinful thought, every sinful action, every sinful word, every gossipy angry, judgmental word that we utter. He knows it all, and yet He doesn't judge us. Rather, the judgment was placed upon Jesus Christ, and He took our place. Isn't that wonderful? Are you sure? <laughs> you don't act like it. It's wonderful, isn't it? I agree. 
(laughs) He granted us forgiveness through His death on the cross. He offered eternal life through the power of the resurrection. And now, the way that we treat others ought to demonstrate the same mercy that was demonstrated to us that we received in Christ Jesus. The grace that we give flows from the grace that we have received and that we still need. Every day we need the grace of God. But if we fail to treat people rightly, then we ourselves will come under judgment. Talk more about that in just a minute. Next slide. The next little phrase is really a synonym for the first phrase. Look at what he says. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. You know what this is? This is the logical end of judging. Right? You judge someone, the judging is what? Condemnation. In essence, we're making ourselves judge, jury, and executioner, aren't we? When we make ourselves judge and executioner, we are no different from the world. Because that's what the world does. Next slide. Third thing we're supposed to do is have an attitude of forgiveness. We are to do this because God has forgiven us. Living this way, living with an attitude of forgiveness is, is not pretending that another person is innocent when he or she is guilty. That's not having an attitude of forgiveness. Rather, what it is, we are not holding an action permanently against that other person. You see the difference? We're not acting like, pretending like there's no elephant in the room. Instead, we're not holding that action against them. It's not an acquittal. It's amnesty. You see the difference? Hold no grudge. Hold no bitterness. If you're merciful like God, if you're kind like God and compassionate, tenderhearted, forgiving, you are manifestly godlike. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're different. And the world doesn't understand this. You don't sit in judgment on them. You don't condemn them. The attitude can be summed up in the prayer of Stephen. You remember the prayer of Stephen when he was martyred? He prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You know what's odd? God didn't hold that sin against at least one of them. Who was holding the coat? Right? Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. God answered that prayer, didn't he? Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. But there's more. Go to the next slide. We are to give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I'm going to get this verse. I'll just say it this way. This verse has been taken out of context in more missions conferences than you can shake a stick at. It's been, it's been taken out of con- context in more capital expansion banquets in churches, more sermons on giving and tithing than you can ever imagine. This is about as taken out of context as judge not lest you be judged. 
the picture is entirely positive. It's a lap full of blessing. Here's how one uh, scholar described the ancient custom of good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over. He said this. He said, the seller crouches on the ground with the measure between his legs. First of all, he fills the measure three quarters full and gives it a good shake with a rotary motion to make the other grain settle down. Then he fills the measure to the top and gives it another shake. Next, he presses the corn together strongly with both hands. Finally, he heaps it into a cone, tapping it carefully to press the grains together. From time to time, he bores a hole in the cone and pours a few more grains into it until there's literally no more room for a single grain. I wish they'd do that with potato chip bags. <laughs> in this way, the purchaser is guaranteed an absolutely full measure. It cannot hold more. Now, I want you to notice the reciprocal nature of what Jesus says in the context, we're still speaking about loving your enemies. And he states that how you give to them, it will be given back to you. Look at what he says. For with the measure you use it, what? It will be measured back to you. Now remember, he's not talking about God here. He's not talking about giving to ministry the context is loving your enemies. So who's going to measure back to you? Those who are your enemies. You see that? The context is absolutely clear in these verses. You don't condemn them, they won't condemn you. If you forgive them, they will tend to forgive you. If you give to them, they will tend to give you. That's how it works. That's the common, and listen very carefully to the word I use, description, it's the common human way of love. It's the human way of love. God also tends to have the same generosity when we show grace to sinners. He's, he's gracious to the gracious, generous with the generous, pouring out full measure of blessing right into our laps. Sometimes it happens in this present life as God causes His people to prosper many times, though the blessings stay for eternity. But here, he's talking about the human way that humanity loves. If you show kindness to them, they'll show it back. You show generosity to them, they'll show it back. That's just the way it works with humanity. There's a legendary example from the history of England about this. And I don't know if this story is true. But I'm going to tell it anyway, okay? If you find out on the internet, true, you can send it to me or not send it to me. It doesn't matter. But there was a poor Scottish farmer whose name was Fleming. That was his last name. One day, the farmer heard a cry coming from a nearby bog. Uh, he went over there, and he found mired to his waist was a terrified boy who was screaming, and struggling to free himself. Farmer Fleming saved the boy from what could have been a slow and terrifying death as he wallowed further and further into the bog and eventually drowned. The next day, a fancy carriage drove up to this uh, Scottish man, Scottish farmer's humble 
dwelling, and an elegantly dressed nobleman stepped out and introduced himself as the father of the boy that the farmer had saved. He said, I want to repay you. The nobleman said, you saved my son's life. The, the Scottish farmer refused the offer, but at the last moment, his own son came to the door, and the, and the nobleman said, is that your son? And he said, yes, it is. He said, let me take him and give him a good education. And if the lad is anything like his father, he'll grow up to be a man that you can be proud of. In time, this lad graduated from St. Mary's Hospital Medical School in London. He later became known throughout the world as Sir Alexander Fleming, the discoverer of penicillin. Many years later, when the nobleman's son was stricken with pneumonia, his life was saved by the very drug that Fleming had discovered, and he too was a famous man. His name was uh, Winston Churchill. And so it, it gets, it, you know, scratch my back, I scratch yours, return a favor towards a favor, and so on and so forth. And Jesus is speaking in general principle here. These are not hard and fast promises. Jesus is not giving promises here. He's giving general principles. Generally, this can and will happen. We can cite all kinds of examples of this not happening, can't we? Being kind to our enemies, and they just keep rubbing it in. But here's an important truth to remember. What Jesus is doing in this little passage is teaching us how to love our enemies. You can actually be loved by sinners. Love your persecutors. Love sinners and they will love you back the way you love them. That's how unbelievers love. They love those who love them. They do good to those who do good to them. They lend to those who lend to them. That's the way they work. The problem is, that's all they can do. But you can love your enemies and benefit. Next slide. We love them for more than one reason. You see, we love them because we are like Christ when we love. When we are saved, when we're regenerated, God gives us a new heart. He gives us the heart of Christ. And so we don't judge or condemn. Rather, we give. But in doing this, we open up opportunities for gospel witness, don't we? When, when we practice doing what they cannot do, then we give them a testimony that we are not like them, but instead we display the marks of true disciples. Look, going back up to verse number 35. Look at verse number 35 with me. You will be sons of the Most High. You will display the marks of a true child of God. Now, these men were not my enemies, but this type of teaching was driven home to me over and over when I was up in uh, northern Wisconsin. I was on the fire department. I was the only, for a while, I was the only pastor on, on the fire department. And so they would always give me a hard time about being a pastor. I wasn't like them. I didn't, uh, every fire meeting, when they're done, they went across the street to the bar. Uh, I didn't go across the street to the bar. Every, uh, they used foul language. I didn't use foul language. And they teased me incessantly about it. And I just find ways to joke around with them and, and have a good time. But over the years, I had multitudinous opportunities to witness to men 
on that fire department because of the love of Jesus Christ that's been shown. Christians are different. I three on three different occasions, uh, men who gave me such a hard time in the meetings, and I knew they were joking around. By the way, came to my office and and would sit down and say, "You're the only man I know that I can trust," and then they would unload what was going on in their life, right? And so we show who Jesus is by loving our enemies, by not judging, by not condemning, by having an attitude of forgiveness. And we show love to them, and in return, in some cases as a general rule, they will show it back to us. Now, there are people who we love, and you think, man, that heart. It's impossible, right? Last slide. I want you to remember something, though. Paul said, now to him who is able to do what? A little bit more? (laughs) No. A lot more. Far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. We can't even imagine what God can do, right? According to the power that is work in us. Let me ask you, dear believer, is God's power at work inside you? Has He transformed your life? Has He given you the ability to love your enemies and to not judge, not condemn, but actually to give and forgive And to be generous towards them. Because if you allow Christ to work and not do what is natural, you have no idea what God will do in people's hearts. I close with one final illustration. Many of you have seen the video series or read the book called Share Jesus Without Fear. If you know anything about Bill Fay, the author, he was involved with organized crime. He was, he was in that. And he was a hard, hard man. Went to prison for a little bit. But people would witness to him, and he said, I mocked them severely. But he said, every time the word was given, there was something that was piercing my heart, even though I was mocking them. Eventually, Bill Fay gave his life to Christ and uh, has been a, a solid witness. Wrote the book, like I said, and the video series, uh, Share Jesus Without Fear, but you do not know what God is doing in the hearts of people who appear on the outside to be your enemies. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that, as I said last week, Christ loved His enemies. We love because He first loved us. We don't judge we're condemned because that's not our place. Rather, we give. We give generously. We love our enemies. We have an attitude of forgiveness. Not acquittal, but amnesty. I pray, Lord, that we will not only do that with people who are unsaved and oppose us, but that we will do that within the church to those who were brothers and sisters in Christ with. In his name we pray. Amen.